0: Good evening. Thanks for coming out on a Monday evening. We're glad that we get to celebrate this entire week of Easter together. And we have been making our way through a sermon series in the New Testament Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be continuing that series this week. Uh, So finishing up the Gospel of Mark. And this evening we're looking at Mark chapter 11. And so if you have a Bible or a phone app and wanted to turn there, you'd be welcome to do that. Uh, Mark has been Talking to us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus or a disciple, what does it look like to follow Jesus as our king and the second half of Mark, starting in chapter nine, has been all about what Jesus came to do and so here, beginning in verse eleven uh, sorry in chapter eleven, the last six chapters of Mark are all dedicated to the very last week of Jesus's life, the week that we remember this week leading up to Easter. And so just the sheer volume that Mark puts on this week, the amount of space he devotes to this should clue us in that these events are really important. They're all about what Jesus came to do, what his mission was. And this passage is gonna remind us that Jesus came in order to welcome people like us into God's presence, because he really wants us where he is. And it's also going to challenge us. It's going to challenge the comfortable Christianity that we are inclined to slip into at times, to just kind of start getting into the motions. But it's also going to beckon us to see more of Jesus, to be astonished by him, and then ultimately to encourage us to push against our tendency to become ingrown and inwardly focused and to keep us looking out and reaching out in order that we might welcome other people in. So some of the things that we're going to hear from Jesus and see are a little, bit, a little bit challenging and kind of strong. But as you hear these things and witness Jesus doing these things, I want you to also think, wow, this shows how much Jesus cares how much he really wants our hearts. So let me invite you uh, to turn your attention to Mark 11, and we're going to start in verse 12, and I'll read through verse 25. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we ask this evening that you would open our eyes to your word and help us to see more of Jesus. And let us be astonished at who he is and what he came to do. As we reflect on this last week of Jesus' life, would you convince us that these events really had to happen because our sin necessitated them? But would you also overwhelm us with a sense of your love, that you would send your son, Father, and Jesus, that you would come into this world to seek and to save lost people like us, so that we could be with you and feast with you. Holy Spirit, help us to see Jesus as both beautiful and believable, that we might trust him and follow him. Amen. Have you ever witnessed a child uh, being excluded or left out of a group that they obviously wanted to be in or being left out of, of an event or some kind of gathering. Maybe you've been that child. Maybe you were that child. Maybe you're feeling that way right now. And it breaks your heart to, to watch that. And if you're a parent and you see that happening, you want to intervene on behalf of the child, And sometimes, sometimes just seeing the exclusion actually causes you to be angry because you love that child and you hate to see them excluded. We all know that it, it hurts to be left out. It hurts to be not welcomed in. And I admit that there have been so many times and instances in my own life where I have been very comfortable in a group that I've been in. I actually haven't really wanted to welcome anybody else in because I kind of liked my club. It's easy to want a place that's just for us. And yet we all are familiar with the pain of being excluded, of being kept out. So what does Jesus have to say to his people about wanting a place that's just for us? Well, in this passage, in this passage, Jesus has finally arrived at his destination. He's very intentionally been going towards Jerusalem, and now he's arrived at Jerusalem, and he goes straight to the center of worship, to the temple. And when Jesus comes into the temple, he looks around, but not as, a, not as a tourist, not as a guest, but as the owner, the one who owns this place. And he starts doing things and saying things with such authority. He comes to the temple, and he comes to his people to examine them and their spiritual life together. And he's, he's looking to see if they are fulfilling their purpose, which is leading others to experience the presence and worship of God. So Jesus comes to his people seeking spiritual fruit. If you have a Bible, you can look at verse 11. When Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, he goes to the temple. He looks around, uh, but it's late. And so he and the disciples go to Bethany, which is another town just a couple miles away where where they're going to spend the night, likely with their friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the next day, verse 12, Mark tells us that they're walking back to Jerusalem from Bethany, and Jesus is hungry. And so verse 13, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it, seeing if there is a snack. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And I'm no expert in uh, Middle Eastern horticulture, but apparently uh, apparently in the Middle East, fig trees actually have two different kinds of fruit. And so when the leaves start to show up in the spring, there are these little nodules that would grow on the branches. Um, this is before the mature figs would grow. Um, the figs don't come until summer, but if there are leaves, you can expect that there are these little, these little nodules, these little nubs uh, that were about the size of almonds that you could pick and eat. But when Jesus gets close, he sees that the fig tree, even though it has the appearance of having fruit and being healthy, really had no fruit. And so Jesus curses the fig tree. And what Jesus says actually happens, because when we look at verse 20, as they're coming back the next day, as they pass by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And so Jesus shows that he is an authoritative prophet. The things that he says come to pass. He speaks with authority. Jesus says something and it happens. In verse 21, Peter says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So what is all this about? I mean, is Jesus just kind of letting his frustration out on this plant, on this tree? Um, And the answer is no. Uh, Jesus is very controlled. He doesn't just get (laughs) exasperated and do things. Um, The tree symbolized Israel, God's people. And Mark's doing something very intentional in the way that he structures things. He is creating a sandwich, so to speak, with this fig tree episode. Um, And right in the middle is what Jesus does in the temple. So what Jesus does in the temple is sandwiched in between the cursing of the fig tree and then seeing that the fig tree withered. So let's look at the the middle. Uh, Verses 15 through 19, Jesus goes to the temple, to the place of worship, And what does Jesus say about who that place is for? Look at verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Jesus starts throwing the furniture around in God's house. Uh, That's only something that the owner of the house has the right to to do. But Jesus again, again is showing us that he is God who's come to his people. And he's now cleansing the place of worship. And in order for us to understand what Jesus is doing here and what this means, we really have to understand what this place of worship was intended for. What was the temple for in the first place? And to understand what the place was for, we really need to go back to the beginning. So when God created the world, He created the first people, Adam and Eve, and he put them in the Garden of Eden. And it was a perfect place. There was no frustration. There was no sickness. There was no sadness. Everything was wonderful all the time. And the best thing about it was that God was there. And that was really the whole point. In the Garden of Eden, God's people got to be in God's presence. That was God's entire intent in creation to have his people be with him where he is. But one day, Adam and Eve decided that they didn't really want to live in a world where God was in charge of everything, and they didn't really want to listen to everything that God had to say. And so they tried to find life apart from God, but what they actually got was death. Instead of freedom, they got kicked out of paradise. God made them leave. God kicked them out of paradise his presence, and he put warrior angels and a flaming sword to guard the way back into the Garden of Eden, back to the Tree of Life so that they couldn't get in. And it was like a big, huge sign that said, keep out. Because of your sin, you cannot be in God's presence. But God's great desire, his purpose, what the entire Bible is about is for his people to be with him in his place, in his presence. And so his temporary solution for that was to give his people a tent called a tabernacle and then eventually a permanent structure, a building called the temple. And that was the place where God's people could encounter his presence. That's what it was for, where God's people could be in his presence. It was a place for them to worship, to pray. It was a a place where they offered sacrifices for their sins and During big feasts like the Passover, which was about to take place this week, thousands upon thousands of Jewish people, pilgrims, would come from far-off places to the temple. And so there was this need for them to be able to buy animals to sacrifice because some of them were coming from so far away that they couldn't drag all their animals with them. And so there was a need for people to sell animals for them. And these pilgrims, these people coming, also needed to be able to take their, their money whatever currency they had from wherever they were from and exchange it into the right kind of money in order to pay the temple tax. And so there was a need for money changers there. And so both of these services, selling animals and exchanging money, were necessary services, but there were other places for this to happen. There were markets outside the temple where this could happen. And so Jesus gets angry because the temple was supposed to be a place of worship and prayer, but it's become a commercial marketplace. Jewish historian named Josephus wrote that, um, that one year, AD 66, there were 255,600 sheep that were slaughtered at Passover. That's a lot a lot of animals being bought and sold and killed. I mean, imagine, uh, imagine what it would be like uh, to have this enormous livestock show taking place uh, in the middle of your worship service. I mean, imagine trying to worship or pray or sing. Uh, it would be nearly impossible. This was the place where God's people were supposed to encounter his presence. And so Jesus drives out the merchants and he turns over the tables of the money exchangers. And he said, verse 17, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And we begin to understand why Jesus is so upset when we look at who he says the place is for. The temple uh, was structured in such a way that there was an outside court and then an indoor inside sanctuary. And that sanctuary had three parts. The most inner part was called the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. And that's where God's special presence was. And it was separated by a really thick curtain. And that curtain had designs, decorations on it that would remind you of the Garden of Eden. But that curtain was, again, like a big sign that says, keep out. You cannot come into God's presence because of your sin. Only the high priest could go into that most holy place, and only once a year, and only with a blood sacrifice, the outside area, the outermost part of the temple, was called the Court of the Gentiles, and it was huge, 500 yards long. It had these enormous columns that would take three people linking hands to wrap all the way around. Uh, It was this enormous area, and it was separated from the sanctuary by a wall, and on that wall Every so often were signs posted in Greek, Latin, and Aramaic that said this, no foreigner may enter within the railing and enclosure that surround the temple. Anyone apprehended shall have himself to blame for his consequent death. And so yet again, it was another sign saying, keep out. If you're a foreigner and you come inside, you will be killed and you'll have only yourself to blame. So non-Jewish people who are called Gentiles, people like probably most of us, unless you are uh, ethnically Jewish, were not allowed into the sanctuary. They could only come into the court of the Gentiles. And so that was the place where they were allowed to come and to pray and to worship God. And this is the place where the marketplace has been set up. And so this is why Jesus is so upset because the Jewish people were filling up the one place that the Gentiles were allowed to come and experience God's presence to pray. They were filling it up. And Jesus says in verse 17, is it not written, my house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And he's quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah in chapter 56. And I'll just read a few highlights for you. Uh, God says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. God says, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares. And so Isaiah promised that in the future there would be a place for foreigners and for outcasts to come and worship God, to come and be with his people. And the court of the Gentiles served this function. This was the place where anyone was welcome. Anyone could come to encounter God. But Jesus says, instead of a house of prayer for all the nations, you've made it a den of robbers. And he's quoting another Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah, chapter 7. And the word for robbers, the Greek word lestai, its normal meaning in this context was a nationalist rebel. So not so much like a burglar or a thief. Um, what's going on is that the Jews had been, become so concerned with their own nationalistic agenda and priorities, that they were no longer fulfilling their God-given vocation of being a light to the nations, of being a witness to the world of who God is. God's people always had this mission, to be a blessing to the world, and the temple was at the heart of that. The temple and their worship was to be a witness to the world. They existed for the sake of the world, but the people of God had become inward-focused. And they were claiming to be God's people, but they were not bearing the fruit God desires. They'd become ingrown. They were just like the fig tree that looked good from the outside, but wasn't actually bearing fruit. One scholar writes God's house has become a brigand's cave. In what sense was it a brigand's cave? Not in the sense that the people were using it to make money on the side. The word brigand in Jesus' day wasn't a word for thief or robber in the ordinary sense. But for the revolutionaries, those we would today call the ultra-orthodox, plotting and ready to use violence to bring about their nationalist dreams, part of Jesus charge against his fellow Jews was that Israel as a whole had used its vocation to be the light of the world as an excuse for a hard, narrow, nationalist piety and politics in which the rest of the world was not was to be not enlightened but condemned. The temple had been intended to symbolize God's dwelling with Israel. For the sake of the world, the way Jesus' contemporaries had organized things, it had come to symbolize not God's welcome to the nations, but God's exclusion of them. The Jewish people at this time were expecting a Messiah who would come and would overthrow the Romans who were this oppressive force, always in their face, reminding them that they were subjugated people, One scholar, James Edwards, says the Messiah was popularly expected to purge Jerusalem and the temple of Gentiles, aliens, and foreigners. Jesus's action, however, is exactly the reverse. He does not clear the temple of Gentiles, but for them. The temple and covenant are not reserved exclusively for Israel, but include all nations, eunuchs, foreigners. The temple is not the sole property of Israel, but a witness to the nations, the place where anyone who loves the name of the Lord may worship him, a place where God will gather still others. And so even at this time, when God had a special relationship with the nation of Israel, a relationship that, that he doesn't have with a particular nation now, but even then, Israel was and the temple were to be for the sake of the world. And so now, after the coming of Jesus... When God doesn't have a special relationship with any particular nation or geopolitical entity, including our wonderful nation, the church is the new Israel, and the place of worship is supposed to be for all people, for all nations. But the Jewish people wanted a place that was just for them. And it's easy for me, I think it's easy for the church sometimes, to to want a place that's just for us. We all know the pain of being kept out. Maybe you've seen the signs on the treehouse or the clubhouse that say, no girls allowed. Or the sign on the bedroom door that says, no boys allowed. Uh, Maybe you've been excluded in, in more significant and painful ways than that. Ways that maybe still make you feel like an outsider. Like you don't really belong. Like you're not really in the group. Just like there were signs on the temple walls that said no foreigners allowed, there have been signs on churches that have said, literally, people of a certain race are not allowed. But sometimes those signs are, are more subtle. There's lots of different ways that, that churches, that the people of God, that followers of Jesus can communicate, whether intentionally or sometimes unintentionally, if you don't look like us, You don't really belong. You're not welcome. If you don't have it all together, then you're not welcome. But here's what we have to remember. No matter who we are, no matter where we're from, we were outsiders. There's nobody who's an insider in the people of God that didn't start out as an outsider. We were excluded. We were staring at a big sign that said, keep out. Because of your sin, you can't come into God's presence. But but through Jesus, we've been invited in. Through Jesus, we've been welcomed in. Jesus came in order to welcome anyone to come into God's presence. And so we're called to make space in order to welcome everyone. So what does that look like? What does it look like for the people of God to create space, to make space in order to welcome in people who presently are outsiders? It can mean a lot of different things. Relationally, it can mean that as we, as we live together, as we talk together, as we, as we gather, we should be careful not to fill up all of the space. Not to fill up all of the space maybe with our, with our own words, but to leave space to ask questions, to listen, to seek to get to know other people. That could be one way. We need to make space emotionally to recognize that there are, there are people in our midst who are, who are anxious, who maybe are scared to death to be here, who are scared of what people will think of them. What would people think if they knew what I was really like or what's going on with me? We need to be sensitive to that. We need to be aware of of newer people and what they might be thinking and experiencing. And we should expect, we should expect that there are always people in our midst, always people in our worship, always people in our groups who presently are not yet trusting Jesus. They would not identify as a Christian. They've got questions, doubts. They may think and believe very differently than we do, than you do, about various different things. And so we want to communicate in such a way that, that acknowledges their presence, that expects that they are there, that communicates, hey, we, we recognize that people are in different places and we want you here with us because we want them to see Jesus with us. We see in this passage that Jesus cares very deeply about creating space for all kinds of people from different backgrounds to experience God's presence. He welcomes them, and he wants his church to as well. He expects us to reach out, to love, to serve those who are broken, those who are not yet followers of Jesus, those who in all kinds of different ways may be very different from us, but that's what Jesus came to do, which leads us to one final question. How can anyone have access into God's presence See, the temple just provided a a temporary and very restricted kind of access into God's presence. But when Jesus drives out the merchants and tells them to stop buying and selling, and he turns over the tables of the money changers, for a very brief period, what Jesus is doing is he's shutting down the temple. And he's symbolizing that the temple is going away, that it's obsolete, That his very reason for existence is going away because that purpose is being fulfilled in what he came to do. Look at how the religious leaders respond. Verse 18 The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. The religious leaders are so upset at what Jesus is doing, they're afraid they're going to lose their power, their place. And what Jesus does triggers a series of events that we are going to walk through together this week. A series of events that ultimately lead to Jesus' own death, to him being crucified, to Jesus dying. But remember that thick curtain in the temple? That big sign that said, Keep out? In Mark 15, verse 38, we're going to read, we're going to hear this later. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. What that means is that Jesus opens the way into God's presence. Jesus, and Jesus alone, is the one who allows people like us, who don't have it all together, who don't have the right background or pedigree, and we certainly don't have good enough performance, allows people like us to come into God's presence, because Jesus is the true temple. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus puts a a temporary stop on all of the sacrifices of animals, it's intended to, to point us to the reality that Jesus is about to be the ultimate sacrifice, the final sacrifice, the only sacrifice that we need for our sins. The one who pays for all of our sins so that our debt is completely paid. Paid in full. That there's nothing else to pay. There's nothing else to fear. As we sung earlier, there's no condemnation. No condemnation, now I dread. Because Jesus has already taken all of that onto himself, into himself, in order that people like us can come into God's presence. Because that was his mission. And so, since Jesus has done that for us, we have the calling and the privilege of turning around And welcoming other people in. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, says this in chapter 2. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. So, non-Jewish people, people like most of us. Remember that you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember the welcome that you have received. Remember the amazing love that caused Jesus to come and to seek and save you to welcome you in and then let let that affect the way that you look out and reach out. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that, that our debt has been paid. It's been paid in full that our sin, not just part of it, but all of it has been nailed to the cross so that we bear it no more. And because of that, we have the freedom to come into your presence and you welcome us. You welcome us to your table, not begrudgingly, but with joy, because that's what you are all about. So would you help us to be those who know that we have been forgiven much, so that we in turn love much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.